Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Sustainability Circle Season 2, Episode 2. I am your host, Shannon Kelly. This episode is being recorded at the Central Branch of Vancouver Public Library, which is located on the unceded land of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations. Today we will be learning about the stuff we put stuff in. It's styrofoam, plastic, paper, glass, the list goes on. But this is a journey, and any journey had is best with a friend. So I found one. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, Shannon. Yeah, thank you for that uh intro with much gusto. So my name is Mac Fleming. I'm a science communicator by day. That is actually where I know Shannon from. We both work together teaching kids about the wonders of space and science. So as you can imagine, we have a lot of fun on the day-to-day basis. (laughs) Uh, By night, I would definitely consider myself an avid zero-waste shopper. And by avid, I mean borderline fanatical. Uh, I once forgot my tote bags at home and put all of my groceries in my sweater. I tied it up and threw it over my shoulder. So uh, I'm uh, I'm pretty into the movement as much as I can be. And uh, today we hope that uh, maybe you will be too. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I've stolen her away from work for the day. But uh, should we get right into it? Yeah. So today I am hoping that we can really start unpackaging the language around materials and making it a little bit more digestible for you, the general public. Because as it is, a comprehensive understanding of some of this terminology is is just exhausting. The information is everywhere, but is it all correct? Well, that's what we really want to delve into today. What is sustainability? Does sustainability even mean anything today? And what does that mean for you at home when you are uh, looking at your blue bin, your green bin, and the ever almighty trash bin? Exactly. So we are going to kind of divide it up into our different materials. And here in BC especially, we kind of have four categories of materials. We have paper and wood products. We have glass products. We have metal products. And then we also have the biggest category, which is plastics. So we're going to talk a little bit about how each of these materials is made and also recycled and any problems that might come up along the way. So do you want to start with paper? Yeah, we can jump right into paper. Uh, Paper, it's used pretty frequently, whether it's newspaper, whether it's a paper shopping bag, maybe it's even a a cardboard pizza box. And the recyclability, recyclability, sorry, (laughs) of paper is, uh, is pretty good although not great. The paper we're getting as virgin pulp is usually coming from softwood trees. You know, think your um, your fir, maybe your aspen. That paper, once recycled, usually has a recyclability lifetime of about five to seven times, each time getting recycled down into something usually a little bit different than what it was in its previous life. Mm -hmm. And when we're talking about recycling paper, so paper is made from trees, like Max said, but basically what happens is the trees get mashed up and then they get combined with water. and Kind of turned into like a big uh, big tree soup. And it's got all these polymers in it. And what they do is they basically lay it out flat, press it, and then wait for it to dry. And it combines all of these weird polymers together. But what happens when it's recycled is it's broken down back into the pulp. But every time paper gets broken down, the polymers get shorter in length. So they don't combine as well with newer materials. 
So shorter in length means less strong or more mm -hmm. weak. So what was once a paper bag is going to be recycled into something that will never again probably be a paper bag because those paper bags need to be quite strong to uh, tote around your organic yogurt or fair trade bananas, whatever it is that you are throwing in those bags. Yeah, or if you think about printer paper, it might be recycled into newspaper, which is a lower grade of paper that doesn't need the strength that our printer paper does. But that's also a reason why it is super, super important to actually make sure that we are recycling things like printer paper because they can be recycled back into a product that has a lot of use because it's such a kind of high value product to begin with. Which is really great to know when people start talking about paper bags versus plastic bags. We will delve into plastic bags a little bit later, but oftentimes I hear people say, but Mac, I'm doing the planet a favor by getting that plastic bag because the paper bag uses so much water. <laughs> and I say, uh, please stop, because this conversation needs to end right here. Uh, that is not necessarily true. And we get to talk a little bit more about what paper recycling really is and even though it may use a little bit more water, it may contribute to higher emissions, given that paper bags are heavier mm -hmm. and uh, you need more fuel to transport them to and from your curbside recycling to mm -hmm. the recycling depot. Overall, talking about the end life of that paper bag versus that plastic bag, um, that paper bag is, is the better way to go. Yeah, and I find here in Canada, I find paper bags aren't super common. The only place I know I can get paper bags all the time is Whole Foods. Sometimes I wonder, do people get them at Whole Foods because they care or is it just because then it tells everyone that they went to Whole Foods? Well, it's the only option. They That's don't have true. plastic bags. <laughs> Although I did see some the other day, so I'm not sure if they're uh, trying to jump on the plastic bandwagon. Well, they have like reusable totes that they sell. I've seen some plastic bags. Interesting. The world is changing. Hmm. Maybe not for the better. But what I find is really interesting because I spend a lot of time in the States and pretty much every grocery store in the States, you have the option between having a paper bag or a plastic bag. Interesting. Yeah. And I only know about it because my dad is an absolute, and I've said it before, he's an absolute fanatic for paper bags. Right. I guess hmm. that's the other upside to a paper bag not only can you recycle it, but you can also reuse it. And we'll talk a little mm -hmm. bit about reuse of items later. Uh, that's funny. Your dad is really into that. I had to ask my dad for a compost for my <laughs> 15th birthday. <laughs> that's what he thought about environmentalism at that time. But he's uh, he's come around. He's really big into geothermal energy. He has his own compost. Um, he loves worms. And he's even got his oh, own yeah. orchard. Yeah. My um my dad was using uh, trash cans when I was younger to collect rainwater. So that's where that's where my family was at. I think the reuse of our trash cans was just using the lids to go sledding. Oh, well hey, that sounds like so much more fun. It's still reuse. <laughs> rainwater can be fun too. But um anyway, so another category that we have of materials is glass. Here in BC, we have kind of two different kinds of glass because we have glass that you pay a deposit for and then glass that you don't pay a deposit for. And I have some research for non-deposit glass. And then inside of your non-deposit glass, you have clear glass and colored glass. And glass is basically just a product of molten sand. It's silicate, which is exactly the sand like we get on the beach. 
and it has some other things added to it to make it smoother or make it look nicer. Um, but it's just melted down and blown into the shape of whatever jar or bottle you're getting. That being said, I would imagine if a golf course got struck by lightning, you would get glass tunnels underground. That's kind of what I'm seeing in my head, at least. Are there sand tunnels under golf courses? I mean, if it got struck by lightning, that would heat that sand yeah. enough to probably turn it into glass. Well, you do get, like, if lightning hits a beach, you can get glass from that. Yeah, so I guess the same thing at golf courses. Because so. that's, like, one source of sea glass. And then mm. the other source of sea glass is littering. Yeah. So. <laughs> and that's a whole other story. But we like recycling here. So um, when glass is recycled when it's non-deposit glass uh it gets sorted into its colors because when a glass has a color it's had something added to it to create that color um so it's having a jar that might be brown versus a jar that's clear they aren't going to get mixed up together because they have higher value to be resold later if they're separated so we can uh, we can put things in but we have a very tough time taking things out Mm-hmm. And the, but the great thing with glass is that it just gets smashed down into its pieces and then it is sold off in those pieces and it basically just goes straight to a remanufacturer, they're called, and is melted down again and made into new bottles and it's already got everything added to it. And uh, glass is great in terms of its ability to be recycled. The only issue it poses is when overzealous recyclers uh, I have been guilty of this, want to recycle maybe some broken glass. That oh, is a yeah. big no-no when it comes to recycling. That poses a huge problem to those that are in the recycling plant. Mm -hmm. So even though you may want to recycle your broken glass, please do not put it in there by itself. You can wrap it in newspaper um, and then tape it up, and that's okay from what I've heard. But just uh, plain old broken glass is uh, is a recipe for some severed fingers. So. We like our friends at the Recycling Depot, and we like them to have all 10 fingers. Yes, and interestingly, um, dangers posed to workers in the recycling depots and plants and things like that is actually a really big issue for a lot of different materials. And it's something that's it's, it's going to come back in plastics because it's a big problem. Um, but the last thing with glass is that it's actually less energy to recycle glass than it is to create a new product. And like Max said, it's easier to put things into glass than it is to take them out. And when everything is already in the glass, when we already have an amber glass or we already have a clear glass, it's a very straightforward method into making it into a new product. Whereas if you start from kind of scratch and nothing has any color or anything, you're spending a lot of time adding all that stuff in and it's taking more energy and is more taxing on the environment. A kind of cousin to glass, because it kind of carries very much the same process, is the metal category. So when we have metal products, it's usually things like cans. Uh, if you buy cans of vegetables, cans of beans and stuff like that. You know, think of Monster if you're trying to stay awake for 72 hours straight. I don't recommend it, but you know, if you have to. <laughs> I don't think I've ever gone past like 42 hours. No, I'm a, I'm a big sleeper. Yes, me too. The all-nighters, that's not in my MO. 
But um, metal containers are really awesome. The other thing is um, there's a really funny thing on the Recycle BC website. And when I refer to Recycle BC, it's the um, authority for the province of British Columbia on recycling. So they coordinate all of the curbside pickup, the pickup of bins from uh, multifamily residences, and they coordinate all of the recycling for everything. Um, but on their website, they have an absolute ton of information. And I really got a good laugh at their description, like their instructions for how to recycle cans. Oh, yeah. Um, like food cans. And it's because they say after you've opened the can and taken the food out, lightly rinse it, take the lid off that you've opened, put it inside the container and squeeze gently. <laughs> I don't know how strong you have to be to gently squeeze a can to then squash it down. Because I'm assuming what they want is for the lid to stay in the can. Because, like, I've I've cut myself on the lids on cans before. Oh, who sharp. hasn't? Yeah, and I'm assuming that they don't want the lids to pop out because, again, danger for the workers in the recycling depots. Yeah, worker safety. It's important. But, again, I don't know how strong I am to gently push down on a can. I mean... I did some shoulder presses the other day, but I'm I'm a ways off until gently squeezing equals just decimating an aluminum can. Yeah, I know. I tried to, I opened like a can of corn today and I tried to like gently squeeze it to get the lid to stay in. And the lid was going to stay in whether I squeezed on the can or not. So that's fair. There's a, an exercise. Maybe, maybe if you don't go to the gym a lot, you can, you can say, write that down as your exercise for the day. Okay. Yeah. Future rock climbers, listen in. This one's yeah. for you. But um, metal, much like glass, is something that doesn't degrade with use. Um, and that's a really important word. So it doesn't lose any value as it's used and recycled. Um, basically what happens, you send it back. It's sorted into different container sizes, shapes, and things like that. And then it's just shredded up, baled, and sold to remanufacturers. A really interesting fact that I learned is it is quite likely that two-thirds of uh, all of the aluminum ever produced is still in use right now. Um, it has the highest recyclability of pretty much any material, aluminum. That's awesome. That is to say, yeah. So there is definitely hope when it comes to recycling. But again, aluminum is really easy to recycle, mm -hmm. and it's that convenience, that ease, super straightforward for mm -hmm. both um, those working in the recycling depots and people at home. That's... Uh, that's what's really the, the key take-home message there for aluminum. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, because I didn't necessarily know this, but aerosol cans, with the exception of spray paint, can 100% be recycled. You just have to take any plastic nozzles off of them and make sure that they're empty. So what Shannon is saying here is you really need to use the entire can of hairspray. Mm -hmm. So really tease use that hair up before you uh, recycle your hairspray, please. Go an extra day without a shower and get all that dry shampoo out. <laughs> oh, so if Shannon is a little stinky next time you see her, you will know why. <laughs> or if my hair looks particularly voluminous. Um, but our last category, probably the most daunting for everybody. I know it's the most daunting for me. Um, is the plastic category. It can be anything from your pantyhose to your bulletproof vest. Oh, boy. Yeah, plastic. <laughs> I got to say, plastic is definitely one of my pet peeves. <laughs> pet P-E-T for polyethylene terephthalate, the most ubiquitous of the plastic resins, uh, as ubiquitous as it is insidious, unfortunately. Yeah. 
So plastic was first introduced in the late 1800s. I believe it was the 1860s it was introduced. Um, and it was introduced as a synthetic version of resin that can be found in trees or in some animal bones. I did not realize there was resin in some animal bones. Yeah, the animal bones uh, fact, I think that's really neat. Yeah, and um, I guess a scientist saw all of these things being used to make containers and vessels to just hold things in, whether it was pottery or something like that, and figured that he could make something that was a fake version of it. <laughs> but um, it came into commercial use in the 1960s, and then it was basically in all aspects of our lives by the 1970s. Um, it is a synthetic polymer product, is what it is referred to as, and it's made from oil and natural gas, so it is a product of fossil fuels. The, uh, the main issue there is fossil fuels are a finite resource, mm -hmm. um, unsustainable as well. Uh, petroleum is, uh, is pretty impactful on the planet, and uh, that impact extends way beyond uh, your blue box at the end of your alley. And we're going to talk a little bit about where those plastics might find themselves at the end of their life and why their recycling lifetime is maybe not as great as some of the other materials that we mentioned. Mm -hmm. And when the plastic is being made, it has other things added to it after, not just from the oil or the natural gas. It has things like uh, nitrogen, sulfur, hydrogen, things like that added to it. And I was telling Mac about this thing that I saw online earlier, but um, on the American Chemistry Council website, um, they have this funny comment on their page that's about how plastics are made. And they say that if you took away the hydrogen, the sulfur, the nitrogen, you would have only carbon, which means that you would either have a diamond or graphite, like in your pencil. <laughs> So essentially, your uh, unsustainable single-use plastic bag is is a diamond. It's it basically. Basically, almost just about pretty much is <laughs> is what that industry is trying to say. Uh, so again, the, the wording being used around these products is so impactful in terms of how we think about them. If someone says sustainable, is it actually sustainable or is it is it just a word? Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's keep talking plastics because it's a huge area in terms of recycling, in terms of the impact on the planet, in terms of its use. Plastic is used worldwide. Uh, so much of it is produced every single day. I mm -hmm. don't know the exact numbers, but it is a lot more than you would imagine. Like Shannon mentioned, the additives to this plastic is going to tell us a little bit about whether or not that plastic can be recycled and how it's recycled. Interestingly enough, color is pretty important to factor in when you're trying to recycle something. A clear plastic, like the clear glass, has a higher market value than a colored plastic. Mm -hmm. More problematic are black plastics. Yes. Because those <laughs> may not always get uh, mechanically filtered out in the plastic sorting system. It may have to be mm -hmm. handpicked or it just gets trashed. Yeah, I had actually first heard about that. I was reading, um, hilariously, I was reading a magazine about black holes. And there was a, okay. a funny write-in article in the magazine, and it was talking about the black trays that microwave dinners come in and how they are notoriously not able to be recycled pretty much all over the United States just because the cameras that they use to filter the colors out don't know how to recognize the certain black dye that they use. So it's not even the plastic that's the issue. It's just the dye that is being used in the dishes. 
And it kind of makes you wonder, well, if they're not being recognized, why use black plastic at all? Mm -hmm. It's so the food looks better, I learned. But I mean, if you ask me, a microwave meal is a microwave meal. (laughs) You know, you can put lipstick on a pig, but... (laughs) It's uh, it's still lukewarm mashed potatoes and uh, very mushy carrots and some sort of Salisbury steak that I'm not super interested in, black plastic or not. Um, so typically people think that our plastics are, our different types of plastics are indicated by something called the resin identification code. And it does tell us a little bit about what the plastic is, but it can tell us basically nothing about recycling it. So if you're wondering what is a resin code, um, you may not recognize the word, but you Mm -hmm. certainly recognize the symbol. It's those three little arrows in a triangle with a number in the middle. That number, like Shannon said, not all that helpful when you factor in that that number only indicates the the dominant resin Mm -hmm. in that plastic product. So it could still be a low percentage, but the highest of all of the resins within that plastic, and that's the number that you're going to wind up with. So it doesn't tell us a whole lot. Instead, it makes a lot more sense to look at the product itself. Mm-hmm. If uh, you are here like us in Vancouver, you can check Waste Wizard, and that's going to let you know what can go in recycling, what cannot, based on the item it is, not necessarily the resin code. Yeah, so... With all of these different types of plastic, there's basically a different recycling process for each of these different types of plastic. And the thing that kind of sucks about it is that, especially here in BC, most of these plastics have specialty recycling programs for them. And it's because these products can cause issues going through normal recycling routes. So if we think about something like um, everybody's favorite plastic bags, um, plastic bags can't actually go through the regular recycling because what was happening is when they were going through regular recycling, they would get caught up in fans on the machinery. They would get thrown off the conveyor belts because they were so light. Think about that uh, Katy Perry video. Yeah. You know, plastic bag. That thing is flying around everywhere. Imagine thousands of those at your work. That's madness. Have you seen the video that somebody, I don't know if it's real or not. But it's like a plastic bag walking across the street. Like, it looks like it's walking across the street. Well, I mean, there are many of them walking across the planet, so it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, there you go. Less walking and more just laying obstructively Mm -hmm. across life as we know it. (laughs) But um, the generic way to recycle pretty much most types of plastic once they are in their specialty recycling programs is for them to be sorted, again, if they're colored, different shapes, And then they get shredded, they get washed, which is really, really important. Um, In the first episode, I had mentioned about contaminants on our recycling. So they have to make sure that there are no contaminants because it makes them a higher value to be sold to our remanufacturers again. Um, The other thing I want to mention is that there is actually a new program happening through Recycle BC. And they're actually collecting so... For a long time, I didn't think you could recycle things like Ziploc bags and stuff like that, but zippered pouches and, like, granola bar wrappers and chip bags and things like that. Styrofoam included. They are now collecting all of those at RecycleBC depots and some return at depots. And then um, if you exclude styrofoam from that, you can also take them into London Drugs locations. Although London Drugs uh, took my recycling that was 
the expanded polystyrene, the uh, styrofoam. Oh, they did take the styrofoam? They did, yeah, which is awesome. Excellent. So many of us live near London Drugs. I mean, it's just one more thing to kind of toss into your bag before you head to work. Mm-hmm. Take an extra five minutes, drop it off, and you can uh, sleep a little better knowing that you have aided in the grand recycling scheme of things. Exactly. So we are now going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, what makes materials sustainable and what does it mean for a material to be sustainable. Food waste isn't great. Luckily, Embark collects the imperfect produce from Nestor's Market and distributes it for free to the SFU community. Visit the Food Rescue Volunteers and snag an apple every Thursday from 12.30 to 2.30 in Blueston Hall. Welcome back. We are going to be talking about what makes materials sustainable now. So we had a nice little break too. Uh, Hopefully you had some time to run all of your recyclables over to London Drugs. Meanwhile, we were working on vocal exercises. Unique New York, unique New York. I stumbled over a couple of my words there, so I wanted to make sure I am uh, nice and fresh for you guys. Jewish sushi chef. (laughs) Shannon, can you give it a try? I just need to be able to say remanufacturer correctly. (laughs) I think that's one of the barriers to um, sustainability and just generally having a better handle on what's going on with recycling and Mm -hmm. uh, the rest of that is some of the words. They're big words, they're complicated words, and we just don't want to say them for fear of embarrassment. So we don't use them and we maybe just don't even learn what they mean. And that's, uh, that's something that we got to get over. You know, embarrass yourself. It's for the sake of the planet. It's okay. Well, and even embarrass yourself by asking somebody the stupid question as to what does degrade mean? And that's actually a really good question that I've had a few times. I myself had to look it up to really figure out what the key differences are between degrade to biodegrade mm-hmm. and more importantly to compost. Many times you'll see these bioplastics that we'll talk about in a little while that may be called biodegradable plastics, they may be called compostable plastics. These words tend to get used synonymously, but they don't necessarily mean the same thing. Things that are compostable are biodegradable, but things that are biodegradable are not necessarily compostable. It's the whole every square is a rectangle, and every (laughs) rectangle is not a square. Did I get that right? Yeah. I think so. Well, you know what? This is not geometry. A square square is a special case of a rectangle. There we go. This is uh, is why we have Shannon here. There's my uh, physics degree coming out. Um, We didn't learn about squares in biology. No. We just all were squares. (laughs) We weren't squares. We were pretty cool. Um, But yeah, just a real quick uh, definition moment for those three words. Something that degrades is anything. Anything Mm -hmm. will degrade. It will just become smaller and smaller pieces. Unless it's glass. Uh, Unless it's glass. Or metal. Yeah. I mean, physically, it will degrade. It will Mm -hmm. just turn into smaller and smaller pieces. Mm -hmm. The quality of glass and metal will not degrade. Yes. So, you know, know, definitions, they're hard because there's a few of them. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Something that biodegrades, it will break down. But that doesn't necessarily mean it will break down in a certain period of time. Mm -hmm. It will break down into its core components, but that could take two months, 10 months, 
10 years, 10 million years, it could take a really long time. For something to be compostable though, it has to be able to break down into its molecular components in a certain amount of time and under certain conditions. So something might need to be able to break down in 14 days in your backyard composter. Or maybe it's gonna break down in 14 days in an industrial composter. So again, within these definitions, there are still definitions, which is why it's just so difficult to navigate this world of, uh, of sustainability mm-hmm. and green behaviors. Because we're thinking about um, what makes materials sustainable. And maybe one of the things to help us to begin with is maybe talking about what materials are not sustainable. Um, so maybe we can think about something like plastic bags. And that can be shopping bags or uh, or my personal enemy, uh, produce bags. Yeah, people are so gung-ho to use a reusable bag and then they fill it full of produce that's in plastic bags. Produce that doesn't need to be in their own bags. My favorite is seeing bananas in produce bags. I mean, they're already... Doesn't that make them brown faster? I mean, you could use a paper bag at home. I guess my thinking is they're already in their own bag. It's it's called a peel. Yeah, but if you have them in a bag and they're already yellow and you put them in a plastic bag, they're just going to get overripe really fast. Maybe people like really mushy bananas. Maybe maybe they're trying to make banana bread. I just put those in the freezer. Yeah, that's true. Um... Yeah, but these bags are really inconvenient. So we said before about how they can get caught up in different machinery that goes into the recycling process. So they can get caught in fans. They can fly off of conveyor belts um, and have to be swept off off the floor by all of the factory workers. Remember, think uh, Katy Perry, plastic bag. Mm -hmm. It's flying around. It's a menace. Yeah, and that's also why they're not in curbside recycling, because the wind can pick them up and carry them away, and it's not very fun for anybody, because they end up on the street or in a tree or in our waterways, and then that's when they start to break down. And as a consumer, it's... uh it's kind of disheartening to know that you take all of this effort to put things in your recycling bin, but its recycling journey doesn't end in the bin. Strong winds might carry it away. It might fall out of that recycling truck. Uh, it might not even go into the right recycling pile once it's mm-hmm. in the depot if, say, it's contaminated by, say, peanut butter or uh, or yogurt. <laughs> My favorite peanut butter. <laughs> yeah, so uh, much like Shannon Kelly... The Recycling Depot is also allergic to peanut butter, (laughs) so please keep your food out of your recyclables. Give them a little wash and then toss them in there. Yeah, so if a plastic bag makes it out into the environment, so say it might get caught in a tree or it might end up in the ocean, it is going to take 20 years for photo degradation to occur, and photo degradation is when it is broken down by the sun. Oh, so it's not just people taking pictures of it and saying, oh, gosh, that's terrible. No, it's photo It's photo from photon. So Uh-oh. all the little photons are hitting that plastic bag and they're breaking it apart and creating microplastics. So basically the plastic has gone from being one insidious plastic bag to numerous, considerably more insidious plastic particles. Mm-hmm. And those are going to be in the smallest life forms in our ocean environments. Uh, They will be in phytoplankton that will then get consumed by other animals and so on and so forth until you have something like a transient orca that is full of plastic microparticles. And that's something we call bioaccumulation. 
So that plastic is accumulating through the biome. Yeah, and that's even when you can end up uh, maybe with a piece of salmon on your plate and it might have some microplastics in it and then they go into your body and the cycle continues. Yeah, you, you wouldn't eat a plastic bag and yet we eat things that might have already eaten plastic bags. So something to keep in mind when you are uh, gonna put your bananas in a plastic bag. Mm-hmm. The other thing is if your plastic bank bag, bang, Plastic bang? I mean, <laughs> it's bang like a gun because it's killing our environment. I think oh, where yeah, you're going there. There you go. There you go. Um, but if our plastic bag ends up in the landfill, so um, these could even be our trash bags, they take 500 years to decompose. So that's just to break down into their component pieces. And we are honestly not sure right now about the 500 years because plastic bags have been around for about 50 years. So we don't actually have any indication that it might not be more than 500 years. Um, oh, really but... crazy plastic fact, by the way. Oh, yeah. um, I had heard this recently when I was doing a talk at a school and it was full of teenagers. Mm-hmm. What was really interesting and pretty sad was that half the plastic just about on this planet has been created since, it's been since about 2000, 2002. Oh my god. Yeah, so half the plastic on planet Earth right now, it's only taken about 17 years for all of that to get produced. So there is plastic. The plastic is younger than me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's everywhere. That was uh that was a very sobering fact for those students, but luckily we gave them some alternatives mm-hmm. that really uh that really brightened them up after some very dire uh dire facts and hopefully we're going to do the same for you. Yeah, so Um, One other material that we want to talk about, because these are kind of um, the materials that are unsustainable are ones that we basically have to encounter every day in our lives. So another one is one that's called expanded polystyrene. And I think a lot of us probably know it better by the name styrofoam. Or takeout container. Or takeout containers. Yeah. Um, I was actually interested to find out that styrofoam is a trademark name and that it's actually for like insulation for housing. Interesting. So kind of like if Kleenex was a construction material. Yeah, but it's like if we called something that was not at all Kleenex. So like if we started calling printer paper Kleenex. Well, I mean, if you really need to blow your nose, you really need to blow your nose. Yeah, but I'm also like not bringing like food home in like some like house insulation. You this know? is true. I don't want fiberglass in my pizza. Thank you very much. No, but that's, that's what styrofoam actually is. Um, but what is made of expanded polystyrene are the clamshell containers for takeout food. Uh, You can have like coffee cups, drink cups that are in this expanded polystyrene. And basically what it is, is it's plastic that has been blown up. And it is, um, I think, 95% uh, air, I think. That's the expanded part, I assume. Yeah, that's the expanded part because you can get polystyrene that is not expanded. And that's, um, I read something that said that like the trays at food courts are not expanded polystyrene and then the containers that you put on them are expanded polystyrene that's just a a terrible family tree yeah (laughs) but um so 90 percent of expanded polystyrene in america is single-use food containers and these containers um break down and then the contents of them end up in our waterways and in a lot of places they're 
is not a good recycling system for these containers. So here in BC, um, I voiced my frustration in the first episode about the fact that uh, I don't have a good place to take styrofoam containers uh, because there isn't a depot near where I live that collects them. Right. So that is definitely an issue with them. And then if you throw them in the garbage, then they will leach the chemicals that were used to expand that polystyrene into waterways. And that can harm us. Yeah, that's a problem with styrofoam. It's so convenient to consume food out of it, but it's not very convenient to dispose of it which kind of makes you wonder, well, what can I do? I love my takeout. A few options for you, things that I do. I have a great little sushi spot by my house. They do a, uh, a mean temporary yam roll. So I bring in my own container. Mm-hmm. I bring in a Tupperware. They know me as Tupperware Girl. <laughs> and you know what? It's the best thing to be known as. I love it. I get free extra ginger. They are lovely. One of the women who actually works at the counter has now bought a reusable water bottle. Because I bring my own Tupperware in so often, she's decided that it would be worthwhile to start her own zero-waste journey. And you know what? It's a small step, but it is a step, and it's a step in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Something that I've heard a lot about zero-waste, it's not about a handful of us doing it perfectly. It's all of us doing it imperfectly. You know, everyone starts their journey at a different point. You do as much as you can with the resources that you have. And I think that that's, that's the most important part. Plus, I found that if you bring your own Tupperware in, sometimes they give you a little bit more food. talk about now is um, maybe alternate materials we can use instead of these expanded polystyrene, these plastic bags, um, and other different containers. So one of the ones I want to start with is one that really is encapsulating our idea of, um, you know, one step at a time in your journey. So just making one action in your business or your daily life that can affect change later on or inspire other people to make change. So there was a farm that I used to work at in Kelowna, and it's called the Okanagan Lavender Farm. And they've actually started using um, biodegradable packaging. And it's actually packaging that's completely made out of um, wood and uh, wood chips. 
and it's made by a Finnish company called Sulapak. And it is something that will completely break down within 24 months of being thrown out. Wow. So it sounds like it's pretty well compostable to me. Mm-hmm. And is that breaking down in your home composter or would that be in an industrial composter? I don't know if you'd know. Either I way, 24 know. months really for, for a package, that's that's a pretty good timeline. Yeah. And it if you look at the package, it looks like it's plastic. Um, it's got a seal on it. It says that it is perfectly safe for oil products and water products. Um, and they're using it for oil-based products. But it's really cool. And it's just, you know, it's a good step in a direction that's not using an aluminum packaging or um, a plastic packaging. That's true. Not to, uh, not to hate on the progress that we're making, but bioplastics, while definitely a step in the right direction, a really great way to open up a dialogue in terms of recycling and composting and alternative materials. Bioplastics can pose a bit of a problem when we think about the recycling infrastructure that we have right now. Yeah. Because if something feels like plastic, looks like plastic, you know, it walks and talks like plastic, we might be tempted to throw it in the recycling just like plastic. And unfortunately, like Shannon talked about on an earlier episode, that is going to be a contaminant. And now that that plastic is contaminated, where does it go? The landfill. So these bioplastics, while a great step, do pose a bit of a problem as they're new, but the recycling infrastructure is not. So it begs the question, do we change the recycling stream system? Mm -hmm. Uh, Currently, it's a two-stream cycle or so in Vancouver, if I'm correct. Um, Two or three. We've got paper... Paper and mixed containers. And mixed containers, yes. And then I also have food waste at my Yeah, most places have compost. That's the other issue, too, when it comes to recycling. In New West, it might be different than what I have in Vancouver versus Mm -hmm. what's in Port Coquitlam versus what's in Alberta, what's in Singapore, what's in Australia. It's all a little bit different, and that can be quite challenging if you want to do the right thing, but you may not have the information to do that. Uh, But yeah, sorry, I'm losing track. Bioplastics. (laughs) Great idea, but the inception could use a little bit of work because uh, we want to use them and they are a great step, but is it working with what we have right now? There is a biodegradable plastic that's actually made by adding metal to regular plastic. And the metal oxidizes and breaks it down, so it rusts and basically breaks everything apart. But they said that one of the issues with it is that there are huge consequences if this metal ends up in regular recycling processes for plastics. Oh boy, that sounds a lot like the bioplastic. Great idea, but might not work with the infrastructure we have right now. So when we're thinking about um, what makes materials sustainable or unsustainable and then having to maybe go into a grocery store and think about all of that, uh, it can almost be a good idea to just go in a completely different direction and think about going zero waste. So a big question I had when I was learning about sustainability initially was what even is zero waste? And I think the best and easiest way to say it is it's basically setting a goal to not send anything to landfill. Yeah, I'd say that's a pretty good definition. And zero waste is going to be a little bit different for everyone. There are some things that we might not be able to change immediately. Some things maybe we've never even had to change and it's something we've already done and it doesn't seem zero waste to us. It's just 
a habit. So for everyone, it's going to be a little bit different. But the idea is we are all starting and we are moving towards a less impactful lifestyle. And one of the ways that you can do it, a friend of mine, um, she has a really great method. And it's starting with a room in your house. Mm -hmm. So maybe you're not going to go zero waste throughout your entire life, but you are going to start with your bathroom. So how do you go zero waste in the bathroom? Mm -hmm. Well, think about what you're doing. Um, Okay, zero waste toilet paper. That's a little tough. A bidet. But it's possible. Exactly. A bidet. There is nothing more earth friendly than a nice cool (laughs) jet of water on your butt. The Europeans figured that out uh, way before we did in North America. Yeah, bidets, not very popular here. If you've used them before, it's a strange but nice experience. I don't know if I want to say (laughs) that on the airwaves, but I just did. So there you go. (laughs) Um, Another thing you could think of is maybe thinking about what uh, products you're using in the shower even. So your soaps, your shampoos body washes, uh, if you use any razors or anything like that, you're using a lot of plastics that you're going to be disposing of later. Um, You could even go into the toothbrush you're using. A lot of people are switching to using bamboo toothbrushes instead of plastic toothbrushes that have plastic bristles and things on them. Yeah, my toothbrush is bamboo. However, the bristles are nylon, so Mm. it's a little bit tough to fully distance yourself from plastic in the bathroom. But you can Uh, minimize it. You can definitely minimize it. Uh, In Germany, they actually have toothbrushes where the bristles are made from pig's hair. Oh, like boar bristle. Yeah. Like the shaving brushes. Kind of, yeah. You do have to boil them. I think every week or so because the uh, the bristles are hollow. You don't want them to breathe bacteria. And they have cuticles on them. Yeah. It's like makeup brushes have cuticles on them if you get natural hair ones. Yeah. So for those of you who use makeup, you should be washing your makeup brushes. Once a week. And you can get bamboo <laughs> ones as well if you want to go zero waste mm-hmm. in that area. Buying uh, shampoo bars rather than shampoo in a bottle. Or if you like your liquid shampoo, which I certainly do, mm-hmm. there are zero waste dispensaries in and around Vancouver. Yeah. One just opened up in Port Moody and oh. they're becoming quite the norm around the globe, I would say. Yeah, and they um, they do actually provide really good quality products, I find, too. Yeah, and typically fragrance-free or mm-hmm. natural fragrance. For those of you who may be hypoallergenic, maybe you need something that's a little bit more gentle on your body. Things that are made from more natural materials typically are more gentle on the body yeah. as they are on the planet. But this is exactly how easy it can be to start going zero waste, even if you can't get there 100%. And the thing to keep thinking about is always think about reusing or using renewable materials. So if you have to use paper, make sure it's going in the recycling bin. Um, If you have to go get something from a bulk store, instead of putting it in one of their plastic containers or one of their bags, bring a jar with you. And it's just really small actions that you can use and it will get you to that place where you are contributing to changing what um, in sustainability we call our linear economy into our circular economy. So it's the idea that instead of producing single-use products that go directly into the landfill, which is a linear economy, you are creating products that are either going to be continue to be used multiple times or they're going to be reused, recycled, or something into a product that you can buy new and use again. Think about other animals on this planet, other organisms. Uh, Waste that they produce is then used by another organism. 
So the waste that we produce isn't necessarily used by other things. It sits in landfills. So how do we live a life where we are minimizing our impact and the waste that we are creating is things like paper or maybe a small amount of recyclables. Mm-hmm. So just being really mindful, that's that's the key. And you know what? What zero waste for you might be a step behind or a step forward for someone else. Yeah. Everyone's path starts at a different point and it doesn't have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you buy a bag of chips and then sometimes you bake your own bread. Sourdough starter is uh, is a great way to bake some really delicious bread. I yeah. think you are very nice to your local baker. They, they will usually, yeah, they might give you a little bit. And when you're done with all your sourdough starter, you can actually turn it into crackers. A friend oh. of mine did that. Yeah, she said they were delicious. Uh, made some sourdough cinnamon buns as mm. well. And those were to it too. If you've got oats kicking around, throw some of those mm. in. A little quinoa, a little this, a little that. And you've got some very tasty bread. And don't think either that as zero waste, you need this pantry full of matching glass jars. I've got <laughs> peanut butter containers full of lentils. I've got pasta jars full of this and that. It's whatever you have on hand. Mm-hmm. Make use of it. Minimize your impact. Yeah, and one of my uh, personal tips is just to look at your garbage. Look at what you are throwing out and figure out if it's necessary. I have a lot of allergies. I have to buy a lot of food that's prepackaged to make sure it doesn't contain anything I'm allergic to. And that's something that's necessary for me to keep living. But I also noticed that I would throw, you know, fruit peels into my garbage and that's not necessary for it to be in there. I can throw that in the compost. Yeah, doing a personal waste audit. Mm -hmm. Um, You can do that in any room in your house that has a garbage. The bathroom is a good one to do it in because you'll find that it is full of toilet paper rolls. It's funny that we are so gung-ho about recycling paper, but sometimes we forget to recycle a very prominent paper in our house and it's toilet paper rolls. Mm -hmm. You can recycle them. You can give them into a local school or a community center who will then use them for crafts. Shannon and I have been using them pretty much daily. Um, yeah. This past little while at our own work. The same thing goes for two liter soda bottles, even paper egg cartons. Those are yeah. really great for growing seedlings mm-hmm. if you want to really get. Or even paint containers for paint containers. Art projects. Yeah. If there's one way to get a grade one class excited about biology, it's uh, it's growing plants. Yeah. But these are all kind of ways that we can um, go about our journey. We're all, like Max said, at different places along the way. And sometimes all it takes is that one first step along the way. But I want to thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, A new episode of Sustainability Circle is out every week, so make sure that you subscribe so that they download automatically. This is a production of Embark Sustainability, which can be found on Facebook, but also Twitter and Instagram at Embark Sustain. If you have any questions or comments on this episode, you can email them to podcast at embarksustainability.org. A huge thank you to our guest, Mac. Oh, you're very welcome. It was uh, it was great to be on the show, Shannon. Always lovely talking to you. Yeah. And, uh, of course, I even learned a few new things. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah, so that's, that's what's fun about this movement is there's all these opportunities to learn and grow and just have a lot of fun. Awesome. So I am Shannon Kelly. This is Sustainability Circle, and I will talk to you all next week. <laughs>